Let's open our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 10. I want to kind of divide it up for you. In the 10th chapter you have, of course, verse 1 is kind of separated from the others here. We'll have it kind of an introduction in a sense. But verses 2 through 4, the apostasy of Israel. The apostasy, turning away from God. And then verses 5 through 7, the victory over the enemies. In verses 8 through 12, deliverance and restoration. And that would sum up this uh, 10th chapter. Apostasy of Israel, and then deliverance. I mean, victory over the enemies. And then deliverance and restoration. But we'll get into each verse of it and uh, deal with it verse by verse. You know, a lot of the things that they, they did and are applied to Israel of old can be lessons for you and I today. And they are and should be lessons for you and I today. And then also the prospect of the future, both of, of uh, Israel and also of all nations and all people. Because it's all inclusive. And to show you, before we read the first verse, to show you that it is for our benefit, let me give you a verse in 1 Corinthians, if you will, the 10th chapter. And let's look at verse 6. It says, now, look, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. It tells of the, the experiences under Moses and what they went through. But he said that God was not pleased with them in verse 6. But verse 7 says, These things were our examples. Now on down, it tells us in verse 7, Neither be idolaters. And then in verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication. Verse 9 says, Neither let us tempt Christ. Verse 10 says, Neither murmur ye. And I'm not reading the whole verse because I just wanted to make a point here. But verse 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples or examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. You can turn back to Zechariah now, if you will. But I just wanted to make the point that Paul makes it very plain that all the things that happened back there were examples, were experiences that apply to you and I today. And having that in mind, when we start studying these things, we don't leave ourselves out. We rather include ourselves in in the thoughts. And we do so by saying, well, what happened to them is something that I'm to take into consideration and and do the good things that they did and shun the evil things that they uh, participated in and caused them problems. So in the very first verse, the 10th chapter of Zechariah, notice what it says. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. In other words, to pray. So if... If Zechariah is saying to them, pray, you ask the Lord for rain, well then, what application does it have you and I? When we have a need for anything, what are we to do? Ask, ask the Lord. Jesus himself said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. And I want you to notice that the first thing that's mentioned here is that they're to pray. And it says they're to pray in the time of the latter rain. The latter rains were in February and March. And it says, So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. All the cattle would have grass and there would be plenty of vegetation. So in this verse, notice, he says, So when they ask, the Lord shall make bright clouds. 
bright clouds have to do with lightnings. If you have a marginal reference, it shows that bright clouds indicate that in the clouds that there's flashes of lightning, and then that usually we find the in the thunderstorm will the rains begin to fall. We don't want clouds without rain, do we? We want the clouds with rain. And uh, so here, these things uh, have both a physical and spiritual implication. We not only need physical and material and literal happenings of rain, or we'll call it uh, blessings from God in the physical realm, but we need spiritual refreshment as well. And so it has both implications for you and I today. So we need to ask God to give us showers of blessings. You know, uh, we sing a song, there shall be showers of blessings. And we need that in a spiritual way as well as in the actual showers that bless us when it comes upon the grass and in the country. And certainly our local area needs it today on account of all the fires and the dangers of fires and shortages of water. And I'm sure in many parts of the earth where it was needed, it's probably here when Zechariah was telling them to ask for the uh, rain at the time of the latter rain. The latter rains came, in, we said, in February and March. And then, uh, of course, they were to ask even during that time so that there would be another refreshing that would be coming. Now then, I want you to notice, uh, beginning with verse 2, we said it has to do with the verses 2 through 4, the apostasy of Israel. And it really refers to the last days. They already had fallen in the old times by their idols. And uh, if they come back in the future, they'll also fall again. And notice in verse 2 it says, For the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie. Their idols were teraphims. They were like little little uh, icons and images. Remember Rachel, wasn't it, that stole a bunch of them from uh, her father and uh, hid them in the tent. And he came looking for those idols, those little images, those teraphims. And, uh, of course, there's a whole story behind that that we won't go into. It's just a matter of fact that they use these as diviners. They would actually use them as mediums. So notice what it says. For the idols have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie. This is, and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. In their idols they found no comfort and no help and no hope. And when Israel was in idolatry, that's exactly what happened to them. And that will happen to anyone that follows their example. The only comfort and hope the Bible teaches us is in the Lord. And in a direct faith in His promises in His Word. And if we look elsewhere, we're going to be disappointed and have no comfort and no help. Dumb idols they're called in some places. They cannot speak. They cannot hear. They cannot move. They have no life. But when we pray, when we pray, we pray to a God in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one and only great high priest for us. And we believe that He can hear and answer our prayers. And He does. He has in the case of many of us here today. I know that almost everyone of us can testify that they know at some time or other in certain situations that God has heard and answered their prayers. 
And I believe he has this church in, in uh, the cases of many. So, but these idols, they have spoken vanity and diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams and they comfort in vain. Therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. In the days of such apostasy, there was no real true shepherd leading. There was no shepherd. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 9. Look at Matthew 9, verse 36. If you don't have time to look, just listen to it. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, this is Jesus, he looked out upon the multitudes of people, he was moved with compassion on them. Now look. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They were like lost sheep. They had no one, no shepherd to lead them. No shepherd to gather them. No shepherd to hold them together as a flock. And he saw a multitude of people in that way. And by the way, you and I could look out upon this world today and see the same thing, couldn't we? We could see a people that's just scattered uh, in every direction in our nation and seemingly having no spiritual guide or lead, leader and no one to gather them together as they ought to be. In, in union with God and His Word and faith in Christ and then get, assemble them together to be taught, to be fed and to be protected. So the whole thing comes together when we find that, that people really have a shepherd we know that such in a local church is necessary. But also it's necessary to have individual shepherds all over the nation that will have their little flock uh, to keep together. And they, they're bound together by their unity uh, of their faith in the Lord. Sometimes when you get a chance, there on the bulletin board, we have a copy of the church covenant. It's really just an ordinary Baptist church covenant. And it tells how that we should care for one another. There's two pages, I think, joined together there on the bulletin board. And if you don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure I put one up there. But I have some copies, too, if someone would like one. I think in the desk in there. But the thing about it is, we're bound together and we're held together on the basis of our faith in, in Christ and the directions of God's Word that we promise to pray for one another, to help one another, to... Assemble together with one another and a whole lot of things that, that show unity. So here, notice it says, They comfort in vain, therefore they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. And then in verse 3, uh, the Lord says, Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds. There were false shepherds. There were those that were not leading the people in the right way. And I punished the goats, these headstrong, actually civil leaders more than spiritual and they were headstrong like the goats and they were punished for the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock the house of Judah even the whole house of Judah had become that way and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle in verse 4 it says out of him came forth the corner out of him the nail and out of him the battle bow, and out of him every oppressor together. When it says, out of him came forth a corner. Christ is the chief cornerstone. And it says, out of Judah, his flock from the house of Judah. Uh, think of this, that Christ is of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible teaches that uh, he is the cornerstone, and he is the nail, and he is the battle bow. But look at this. 
When we think of Christ, the cornerstone and the nail, over in the New Testament, there are many places it tells us that He's the chief cornerstone. In fact, Ephesians 2, I believe it says, the last verses of the second chapter, it says, are built upon the foundation of the, listen, the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. You get over in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It says uh, in verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So he's the corner, isn't he? And to some he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Remember it says in the Corinthians, Unto the Jews he became a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to us which are saved, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So to some people he's a, he's a stumbling stone. To the Jews and to the Greeks or Gentiles he was foolishness. But to both Jews and Greeks, you find that in 1 Corinthians, look at it. Chapter 1, both of them that believe Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's look at that. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now look, verse 22. For the Jews require sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Now what is Christ crucified? It says, under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. So you have two different groups looking at Christ in a negative way. But now look at verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you go on down. uh, And this is all a wonderful reading in that first chapter. But uh, that we gave you in 1 Peter shows us that... uh, Christ is the chief cornerstone. Someone says, well, back in Zechariah now, let's take that fourth verse again. Out of him came forth the corner, and out of him the nail. He's the cornerstone, and he's the nail. What does the nail mean? I want you to think about it for a moment. The nail in the oriental house was a large pin, often very beautiful, beautifully uh, ornamented and the most costly things were hanged upon it, on this nail. But look in Isaiah uh, chapter, let's see if I can find it, 22. Isaiah chapter 22. I want you to listen to this. Beginning with verse, beginning with verse 21 through 23. Or 24. Let's just begin with verse 21. It says, And I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open, and none shall shut. Isn't that said about Jesus over in the book of Revelation? He says, I'm the one that opens, and I'm the one that shuts the door. And he says, And he shall shut, and none shall open. Now, verse 23, And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. 
Look at the security. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. The very most glorious things will be attached to that nail. He shall be what? For a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him. Look, what hangs upon him? Verse 24. All the glory of his father's house. We said that the most costly and precious things were hung upon that ornamental nail. That peg in the sure place. And it says, all the glory of his father's house, the offspring of the, of the issue, and the issue, all vessels in small quantity, and from the vessels of cups, even to the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed, and be cut down, and fall. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. He tells about the fact that Christ would be the one that would suffer as well as be the nail in the sure place. So there's two aspects of what we see in that. Turn back to Zechariah chapter 10 and look at verse 4 again. Out of him came forth the corner and out of him the nail. Now look, and out of him the battle bow. He's the one that conquers and wins the battles for us. And out of him every oppressor together. Now, verses 5 through 7 show us that the victory over the enemies is accomplished. God's people shall fight and they shall conquer. Look in verse 5. And they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight. They shall fight and they're going to conquer. Because the Lord is with them and the riders on the horses shall be confounded. So it's, it's a scene of victory, the great final victory that will come. And by the way, that was not only true in the Old Testament days, but it's true of the time that there will be the Lord's people fighting against their enemies. And it has a bearing upon the book of Revelation and all the interpretations of the book of Daniel and a lot of the prophecies that prophesy of the, actually the time of Jacob's trouble when the Lord will strengthen them and save them. The next verse leads us into that. If you'll look at the next verse, please. Verse 6 says, And I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will. Who's going to do this? The same thing as you find in verse 5. Look at the middle of verse 5. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be confounded. All their enemies shall be confounded. But now look at verse 6. And I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them again to the, bring them again to place them. Place them where they belong. For I will have, I have mercy upon them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them off. Remember, for a time, Israel has been cast off. As Paul says in the book of uh, Romans. But he says they're going to be brought back. For I am the Lord their God and will hear them. I'll hear them. If you turn to the book of Romans, chapter 11, and let's read verse 11. It says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Now, drop on down when we talk about their fullness. Let's drop down to verse 25. He says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Now look, that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel 
until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Blindness until when? The fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So there's going to be a time of future conversion when the fullness of the Gentiles will be come in. And turn back to Zechariah. And we'll get into that part of their future deliverance and restoration in the book of Zechariah. Turn back now to Zechariah. Chapter 10, verse 6. He says, And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them. For I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. Remember, for a time they've been cast off. For I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. When they turn and repent, when they are converted, God says, I will hear them. Now I want you to notice in verse 7. And they of Ephraim shall be like mighty, like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Now, they of Ephraim, look, Ephraim will be there, and the restored ten tribes. Ephraim is a term that speaks basically like Israel, or the of the ten tribes. And then Judah and Benjamin were, the, were called the tribe of Judah. So there were two tribes. After the kingdom was divided, you had the ten tribes, and then you had the two tribes. And so when it speaks of Judah, it speaks of the two tribes. When it speaks of Ephraim, is another term that's used to represent all of Israel. So Ephraim will be there, the restored ten tribes. When you get over in the book of Revelation, you'll find that the, all the twelve tribes, that's where you get the 144,000. 12,000 out of every tribe. Someone says, well, where are those? They, they call them the ten lost tribes today. Well, they may be lost for man, but they're not lost as far as God is concerned because He's promised that there will be a regathering and a replacement. And through them, salvation and deliverance is going to come back to nations all over the world. It's hard to see that today. We look at uh, the conflict that's going on and we think, my, what a mess it is. We find uh, over in the land of Palestine and, and in Jerusalem, there's all kinds of conflict and terrible things happening. But it won't always be that way. And God is the only one that can change it. You know, we make all these efforts of, and down the road to peace, but it's not going to be here until the Lord. And so and the Lord comes and brings it. And so that means for you and I that we should uh, be thinking of the soon coming of the Lord to settle all of these questions that are going on. I want you to turn to the book of uh, uh, Luke's Gospel. Let's see, Luke chapter 21. In verse 24, Luke 21, verse 24, it says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, look, shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Let's go on and read it. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. And the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven of heaven shall be shaken, and they shall see, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. 
And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. The nations are still treading down, and the end is only known to the Lord. And many of the same tribulation things that happened to the Jews in Jerusalem uh, after Christ's time, for there was great tribulation, is only a picture of what will happen in the future until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Some have said that the times of the Gentiles indicates the last uh, soul that's saved before Christ's coming. But then they, they're carried on over into the tribulation period. And we know that during the tribulation there's going to be a great deal of conversions because there's going to be witness all during that particular time. And there are going to be souls that are saved and will be martyred. The Bible teaches of the martyrs of the tribulation period. And so they'll be saved even at the cost of their lives. It would be a terrible way to be saved, wouldn't it? Now, this day and hours, a day and age of grace. And you don't have anyone that's going to uh, take a sword and run you through uh, if you're saved this day and hour. But there will be a time that that may be the case. And it will be after uh, Christians are taken out. Revelation chapter 4 indicates that all the Christians will be taken out of here before that great tribulation comes. And then there will be those witnesses during that time. And we will be teaching the book of Revelation soon uh, in our Sunday school. We're getting there gradually. And I want everyone to get in on the Sunday school class, if you will, because we're going to, uh, we're in the book of Second uh, Peter now. And then we have First, Second, Third John and Jude and then Revelation. So we only have four more little uh, epistles before we get into to the book of Revelation. And we'll take it slowly and clearly as we can. But there's coming a time that uh, all these things will be taking place. Now, let's notice what it says here in verse uh, 7. You have uh, Zechariah 10, verse 7. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. My, what a conversion. What a time of rejoicing. Now, verses 8 through 12 show deliverance and restoration. It says, I will hiss for them and gather them. The word hiss is like a, well, what should we say? One of the old, the mother goose out here hissing for all of her, her little ones to bring them to herself. Or the mother hen would be clucking, wouldn't she? To get her chicks under her wing, but hiss for them. It says, so God's going to call them, is what it amounts to, and gather them at the same time. For I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. And I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries. And they shall live with their children and turn again. They'll be brought back home. They will be delivered. They're redeemed. They will be restored in that day. Redeemed and restored. In a sense, they're like the prodigal. The prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He went away into a far country. And finally he turned back and he came back to the father. He repented. He returned. And we find that uh, there will be a supernatural deliverance for them because verse 10 says, I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt. Now look. And gather them out of Assyria. So we said earlier, we were talking about the south, the north and the south. Here you have the south and then the north. Or the east, if you want to put it that way. Because he said it would gather them from the east and from far countries. 
But you see, Egypt is in the south, and Assyria would be in the uh, north, and actually expanding over to the east as well. And I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. He's going to bring them back. And place, place shall not be found for them. There'll be multitudes. And he shall pass through. He shall pass through the sea with affliction. Notice this eleventh verse must be applied to the Lord because He's with them in the sea of affliction as He was with them in Egypt and as He went before them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in the Old Testament days in the land of Egypt as they were brought out and delivered from Egyptian bondage. And He shall pass through the sea with affliction and shall smite the waves in the sea and all the deeps of the river shall dry up. And now look, two things here in the last part of verse 11. And the pride of Assyria shall be brought down. The pride of Assyria shall be brought down. And the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. That's when the Lord's in control of things in a future time. In verse 12, we'll conclude their deliverance, supernatural deliverance and restoration. And notice what it says. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in His name, saith the Lord. We know that all of these things will be literally fulfilled when, all of, uh, when the Lord comes and there's a millennial reign of peace and righteousness that you'll find over in the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter. When the Lord comes back in power and great glory and all aggression and all oppressors are put down and not only will all Israel be saved, but all of the Gentiles who are called by the name of the Lord and all the redeemed of this day and age that will be resurrected before that time and be coming back with the Lord in Revelation 19 with power and great glory. And then we shall all have peace and righteousness for a thousand years. And then we go into the eternal state of things after the 20th chapter of Revelation you go into the eternal state of things. But you know, a thousand years can seem like an eternity. That's going to be a long time in itself. But that will be before the eternal final stage of things of God's world, of this earth, and, and the eternal blessings will be known. There will be a thousand years reign of peace and righteousness. It's called a millennium. And uh, you'll find that there's never been in our history, a time of even so-called peace of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years at a time. And it was not peace. It was just a, we might say, a tolerated existence in peace because there's always been conflict in the world, even in those times that we've called peaceful times. Somewhere there's been the conflicts going on. But you read the 20th chapter of Revelation, you'll find out that Things are going to be different then. You go back and read in Isaiah. Let's see, Isaiah chapter 11, is it? Let me read for you. Isaiah chapter 11. Let me read a little bit here for you to show you what it's going to be like. And this is all future. It says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's Christ. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The branch is Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the right after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. This is all prophecy and contained in the book of Daniel as well. We'd find a lot of it. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Now look, during that time, of his reign, it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Remember, recently they've taken the, the wolves to a certain uh, place, and the cattlemen are all disturbed about it because naturally the wolf is going to eat the young calves and even the cattle. And so there's still a lot of problem dealing with uh, beast creation. But at that time, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Instead of eat, eating the uh, young ones that the lion could catch, he'll eat straw right along with the cattle and feed along with the cattle. Most of you have seen the uh, animal channel or the discovery channel where it shows the, uh, most of these, uh, the wildlife and how they'll, you know, they live by the strong is the one that, that uh, will continue and the weak pass by the way. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice then, on the den of the, the serpents, the snakes. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that'll be a time, and that's a time that the Old Testament prophesies of peace and righteousness. And we find that in the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, is when all of this is going to take place after the Lord comes. And uh, it will not ever happen until there's a great, dramatic change in this world and that change will take place by the coming of Christ. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that things are really going to be that way. I know it's hard for me to imagine and I suppose it's hard for any one of us. But according to God's promises, He says that that's what's going to happen. And everything that God has promised has always happened and it's going to happen according to His Word. So it's up to you and I to have faith and believe God's Word and take it as it is. And whether we can understand it or not, we hope in it and we believe it. And so we thank you for your patience and your kindness.